You're listening to the Inverse Podcast, where we explore how the scriptures can turn our world upside down. Or how it can be weaponized to uphold the status quo. I'm Drew Hart. And I'm Jared McKenna. And this is Inverse. Hi, everyone. I'm the producer of Inverse Podcast. I'm just popping in your ears briefly to let you know that if you listen to Inverse, this is simply our welcome mat to a wider community of people from all over the world. We connect throughout the week with liberating Sunday school on the weekend that tends to focus on Indigenous texts and subversive seminary during the week, which focuses on anti-racism formation. We also have an advanced anti-racism group who are currently studying the Africana Bible, a reading of the scriptures from the vantage point of Africa and the African diaspora. We record these episodes in community and we'd love to invite you into this space where you can have a chance to ask questions and to participate by being part of our Patreon community. If you're one of our patrons, you can listen to extended conversations with extra questions included, such as this. I like to ask questions. I like to know what's at stake for folks. What are they afraid that they will lose if this is not a part of the way that they think about what Jesus is doing? Um, That gives me some groundwork to know, like, okay, what what might be the touch points that I want to speak to? How my how this new way of thinking about it does or doesn't address, and I think there's a it, there's invitational. We the we invite people to see things that they haven't seen before. Are there other ways that atonement is talked about within the Bible that everybody's losing because we're honed in on this one way? Um, really, like a what if we thought about it as this? So it really depends on your on your community and who who it is that's in in front of you. Like I think some of it is just learning different strategies for how to talk about what it is you're asking, what kinds of questions you need to know, what do you need to know about the environment you're in, um, what's at stake for folks, and then how you can invite people over time. I talk about it as building a spaceship. You know, don't assume that you could nail it in one sermon. Talk about it when it's not Easter. When people are waiting for a certain message, you know, you talk about it some other time within the calendar, right? So it's, it, there's, there's just different ways of, um, I don't know if that's helpful for you, Carla. Yes, that's so helpful. Thank you. All the information is in our show notes. Make sure you follow, rate, and review this episode in iTunes. But for now, enjoy the following episode. Well, friends, I'm excited to introduce our guest for today. It is a dear friend of Jared and I's, and it is Nikisha Elena Alexis, who is no uh, stranger to the podcast. Um, And she works at AMBS. She brings practical, administrative, and intellectual gifts to her work there. Um, She's an intercultural competent and undoing racism coordinator there, leading teams, a team of teaching, faculty, administrators, and students in the ongoing work of AMBS's strategic priority of undoing racism and building intercultural competence throughout the institution. As an independent scholar focused on issues of human and other animal oppression, she writes and speaks extensively in the areas of Christian theology and ethics, critical animal studies, and related issues. And as a part of our nonviolence atonement series, um, we're also uh, just want to mention that she's written and published on the cross from a womanist and Anabaptist perspective. And so we're just so excited to have our friend back on. Welcome, Nikisha. Hi, everyone. Welcome to me and to you. So grateful to be here this morning. Awesome. Or oh, this and I nighttime. did want to. Yeah, nighttime, morning, <laughs> afternoon. It's a pretty global group here that we have. I do want to give you space also. I know that you're doing on another level, which is a little music stuff. I don't know if you wanted to say anything about uh, what you're doing as a part of your form, un- informal bio for this space as well. Sure. So I also am a vocalist and a songwriter with uh, uh, my band. I perform under the name Rebel Noir, so Rebel Black. And my band uh, goes, well, I dubbed them the accomplices. So we are in process <laughs> of uh, recording an album, an EP. So I feel very excited. It's We call it Afroetic Blues Rock and other evocative sounds, basically 
whatever mm. um, I feel like singing, um, usually around themes of being a black woman immigrant in the United States context. Um, that's that's what I sing about. So thank you for that for that uh, space to share that. Sometimes I'm like, I have my intellectual side and my sort of other random side that shows up. So people can find my other random side on Instagram at Rebel Noir. <laughs> well, we're excited to have your whole self here with us. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Well, um, I was joking before you came on, Nikisha, that um, uh, there were any number of uh, questions that I would ask, like, is there wonder working power in the blood and just leave it open? Or mm. did Jesus bear the cross alone? that all the world go for it. But instead of doing that, we'll, we'll stick with the usual <laughs> questions. Um, when do you first remember articula- hearing the gospel and atonement articulated? Were they one and the same thing? Uh, were they two different things? Mm. And, and what were those early memories um, uh, associated with gospel and atonement? And you can take that any which way you'd like to. Sure. Um... So I uh, grew up in a uh, Christian household. I, I remember a- attending the Catholic Church, so that's where my my upbringing was lodged. Um, I grew up in Trinidad, so there was also this sense of the spirit world um, just being a part of everything. So there was church um, that I went to uh, pretty regularly. And there is also, um, you know, what people call spirituality now, um, you know, very broadly. Um, my grandmother especially just was very attuned to, to the world around us, um, a very green world, um, and communed with God, too, in that space. So, you know, I, I do have memories of, right, within the Catholic space, the the cross and Jesus on the cross is a, an important visualization. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of when um, there was sort of formal introduction to that. Um, certainly my faith is, is fairly complex. So I have a Catholic upbringing, but also, especially within the US context, had a kind of evangelical bringing, upbringing too. So I read Focus on the Family type, you know, Focus on the Family was part of my world. I I got my subscription to the Brio magazine where there's rarely anybody that looked like me. Um, So, you know, it was kind of a Catholic upbringing and then really atonement likely coming from that place of Jesus died for me. Um, And that, that came with certain, the benefits of salvation, privilege of being saved from hell specifically, um, going to heaven, um, and responsibilities, like my life needed to do, I needed to live within particular kinds of ways um, because of that. So these things were not necessarily incongruent, but also coming from from different spaces. Um, I remember being very concerned about um, my sins as a, as a young person. Um, two memories are coming to mind at this moment of going to confession at a Catholic church and just feeling really kind of low. And I think I had started swearing by the time I was in my early teens or something like that. I'm not entirely sure what I was confessing, but I felt very, very awful about it. Um, and another memory that I have of, um, I really liked rock music and random stuff like Alice in Chains and Tool and y'all don't remember mixtapes maybe, but like literally with the tapes, borrowing the tapes, recording off the, off the radio. And I had a moment where I was like, this is just all bad, you know? And I couldn't just throw the tapes out I was extra. I needed to rip the tape out of the thing so I wouldn't retrieve it from the trash. You know, I knew myself really well. Um, But, you know, this idea of sin and that Jesus had died for it um, and died for them and died for me. And um, 
that that is, you know, was fundamentally what being Christian was about, that then my action, my, my living, uh, my purity um, was wrapped up in that story. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And I can, as you were talking about like music and stuff like that, I had a very similar experience when I was, I think it was, I want to say 10th or 11th grade. And it was like, you know, my getting serious. And so clearly I got to get rid of all this, you know, devil music. And so like Mm -hmm. all this like great hip hop, like I literally like threw it away. Right. Um, Because I had felt like, well, clearly, you know, a really, truly devoted follower of Jesus can't be, you know, listening to this nonsense anymore. And so Mm -hmm. I have deep regrets about this great collection that I had lost um, during that time period. But um, (laughs) yeah. But well, uh, I'm, I didn't yeah. uh, clear everything out because I found a box of tapes. So it doesn't include Alice in Chains and some of the really <laughs> crazy stuff, I guess. But um, now I just have to figure out a way to play it so I can see what actually is on there. <laughs> right, 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 right. So good. So good. So I'm curious, as you're thinking about those early experiences, remembering um how people are thinking about Jesus's death and sin and things like that. I'm curious about how you understood or interpreted the articulation or the way God was being depicted and even the way Christian life and discipleship were being de- depicted were they seen as or were you interpreting it or hearing it or receiving it as something that was violently retributive or non-violently transformative I'm curious like how would you describe God and Christian life in that framework. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, really, I, I have to say, I don't think I thought very much about the violence um, mm. early on. It, it just seemed like it was what it was. Um, I didn't begin kind of interrogating what I didn't even know there was a different way to think about it until I was in seminary um, and, and began encountering um, womanist theologians um, and Anabaptist theologians um, who were trying to reframe it. So, you know, it really was like, this just was what it was. Um, I, and, and that my faith was wrapped in believing this right like you know how we how you come to christ how you accept christ this is the language that i heard even as i moved through um evangelical spaces to um black church spaces um so you know i i'm not going to single just the the evangelicals out but it's sort of like i have to confess that jesus the centrality of salvation and of of coming into relationship with God was through confessing, I believe that Jesus died for me specifically and, um, and, and was raised from, I'm not even sure that people even always got to the raised from the dead part, (laughs) but he didn't have to rise. He died for my sins. And I needed to, I needed to believe that. Um, I needed to accept that, but, um, I didn't necessarily think about the violence of it until much later on, uh, or, or didn't even necessarily, I can't remember having strong senses that something was un, untenable about that until people gave different ways of, of framing it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I do want to say, you know, my, my, my writing around, um, this topic was several years ago. So I feel like it's, it's become yeah. more complicated over time. I think it does hit differently for people from a marginalized background mm-hmm. to hear that God died for them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and how just that message resonates differently if you're already in a supreme position within within a context, right? Like, well, God died for me. If I'm supreme and God is dying for me, that really enhances my sense of 
could potentially enhance my sense of superiority. But if I'm from a context where I'm the least of the least of these, mm-hmm. and God sees me enough to die for me in advance of me even being here. Yeah. That's a different, that's a different, that has a different tenor. Yeah. Um, so, you know, some of it to me, um, as I've, and this might be the intercultural side coming, is, is, is a message um, necessarily inherently problematic across all, sp- across all spaces. Um, maybe so, maybe no. But I, I do wonder how context shapes, um, you know, the, the song of uh, what a friend I have in Jesus, right? Oh, no. um, yeah. Hearing oh, yeah. that at St. James AME Church where I went mm-hmm. for several years, it's a different thing. Yes. Yeah, that's so good, Nikisha. That's so good. I think... Oh, well, you go, Drew. You yeah, go. yeah. I think that that point is really helpful, just in the sense of that. Even, I mean, there are some things I would say I think are still problematic or not as transformative and helpful <laughs> for the life of the church, and nonetheless, um, can can be deeply, profoundly meaningful and and in, and can mean different things the very same thing right mm-hmm. the very same song mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. even a song right. like amazing grace right and how that's sung mm-hmm. in a white church versus how that's sung in a black church. it's sung mm-hmm. differently nonetheless i think it also means something different in those that's spaces, right, right? Mm-hmm. and i think that um that is worth yeah it's a really important point that i don't think i don't think we've really mentioned that jared up to this point i don't think any of our other guests have even gone there to just talk about yeah. what does um, these different theologies, even something like PSA, right? How does yeah. that um, uh, contextualized and fleshed in different communities? What, what, what's the difference? Yeah, so I really appreciate mm-hmm. that. Yeah, and um, uh, Jesus died for me um, need not necessarily be tied up w- with PSA. Uh, and and even the different ways that that's even interpreted um, yeah. in those particular places, right? Uh, I find yeah. really... Um, fascinating. Um, Nikisha, I, I picked up on you saying that it wasn't until um, uh, university or seminary um, that you encountered womanist and Anabaptist influences. W- what came first? What did they share in common? And where did you find them differing? Mm-hmm. Sure. So um, I um, encountered uh, Mennonites in college. Um, uh, my ex-husband was Mennonite. And so once I found, you know, cleared that he wasn't from a cult. Who are these Mennonites? You know, I checked with my uncle who was a pastor at the time. I said, I met somebody, they say they're Mennonite. I don't know what that is. He's like, um, I think they're sort of like the Amish. And I thought, okay, the Amish can't, if they're like the Amish, the Amish aren't dangerous. So this, this guy might be all right. (laughs) (laughs) And so, so, um, you know, it was, I, I had a background, I had my faith and my high school actually upbringing got me thinking about race and justice. And, but I didn't always know how to hold them together because the things that, the Christianity that I was involved in at the time were saying were not always congruent with this burgeoning. And especially when I started doing um, peace work, peace organizing with other college students at New York University, I, I, there was a point where I was like, I'm not sure if I should call myself Christian because these, these two things mm-hmm. don't really seem to be holding together. Um, and I made a deliberate choice to continue calling myself Christian in these, in these justice spaces just so that people could see a different version of what it was. Yeah. Um, and so when I found Mennonites or when Mennonites, God brought Mennonites into my life, like that was the first time I was seeing peace theology really held together with faith and actually central to faith. Um, and so when I finally made it to seminary, um, it was Gail Gerber Kuntz's course um, where I first encountered uh, 
Black theology and womanist theology in particular, um, and and people really wrestling with um, what, how does this message of the cross really impact us negatively? Like, what what mm-hmm. does it mean to say that? God needed to kill God's son in order for something redeeming to happen. Um, and how, what does that mean for people who are already, you know, suffering violence? So Dolores Williams, Sisters in the Wilderness yeah. is coming toward, coming to yeah. me. It was really one of the main books that, that um, I encountered that in. Um, but there were other authors too, whose names are slipping me right now. I think, I want to say Joanne, but I'm blanking on her last name. But there were some other Black women who were also beginning to wrestle with this as well. Mm. Um, and so, you know, um, I have to be transparent that a certain Mennonite scholar who I won't name was also really profoundly um, important for my formation. Um, just That's just a fact. Right. Um, and so holding holding these two theologies together and, and seeing where they, they supported one another and where, you know, this Mennonite scholar might have missed some, some key things um, was part of that, was part of that um, coming into knowledge of this other way of thinking about it. Um, you know, one of the things that I want to point out before I really forget it is that the the Bible has different ways of talking about what Jesus has did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that plurality, I think, is not necessarily by accident. Like mm-hmm. Paul is talking to different communities and trying to help them all piece together, like what is this profound thing that has happened in the world? And so part of the trouble, I think, with is by picking the one and making that the central one to the exclusion of different ways of, of thinking about what Jesus is doing or what God is doing in Jesus. Um, and so, you know, this again is in how my complexity, how I've begun to think about this in, in more complicated ways is, are there times, I'll, I'll try to ask it in the negative, are there times when it's never, is it never appropriate to think about the atonement in this way? That, yeah, I mean, it, 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 is it just, is it never appropriate? Yeah. Um, is it completely unredemptive? That's just a general question. Mm. Um, you all are asking me to dust off some, <laughs> well, some thoughts, that- it's a conversation that I haven't had had in a long time so and, and we really appreciate um, maybe it you, is we really appreciate you doing just that and i'm i'm aware that some of the names um uh, you've already uh called upon from the pantheon of um a woman and womanist scholarship um uh were responding to the work of dr james cone who talked about the cross as the most empowering symbol uh, mm-hmm. for people who find themselves amongst the least of these. And then whether it's um, uh, Kelly Brown Douglas or um, mm-hmm. Jacqueline Gray right. um, yes. or Dolores mm-hmm. Williams that you mentioned, or you actually introduced me to um, Joanne Marie Terrell and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. her mm-hmm. Is There Power mm-hmm. in the Blood? Right. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but before we kind of um, explore where they're going, can we ask how would you now articulate how Jesus saves? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I would, I, in multi layers, um, mm-hmm. I'm going to say on May 27th at 9.43 a.m. my time, <laughs> this is the answer that I'll give. Um, I think one of them is in really the, the, the capacity to, to live a redemptive life. So this oh. is where the Anabaptism piece comes in that Jesus isn't just modeling something that we can 
really not even hope to aspire to, right? Like Jesus is not just in the Bible showing us things that we could never do. And so we're just so glad that Jesus was around, right? Like <laughs> there's an invitation to actually just participate. Yeah, right, right. Jesus is not stunting in the Bible just to make us feel bad. <laughs> there's, there is something to be, not just something, but we learn from the life of Jesus and what Jesus is doing. And it is empowering for us to be able to, as people who are then baptized, you know, born, born into what Jesus is doing, um, mm. we are empowered to participate um, and to carry that on both as individuals and as the church. So Jesus is showing us a way and showing us truth and showing us life. And we are then invited to now, um, as bearers of the kingdom, participate in that. So I am saved literally from feeling trapped by the things that the empire that's around me, by religious destructors around me that are not um, transformative, that are not really doing what God is seeking to do in the world. I, I can choose now to participate in something different. That yeah, is wow. saving. Yeah. Um, I see Jesus saving in that the last word is life. Mm. God's last word on the cross is life because the cross doesn't win. Mm -hmm. um, and so what does it mean to live as if life is the last word? This is the reason why I don't eat other animals. Mm if I can embody the kingdom of God right now, that means that I am participating in a reconciliation that Christ has already brought now, imperfectly as I am. Mm. So if the last word is life, what does, that, what does that mean? Jesus literally saves other animals. Mm -hmm. One of the parts that we don't really think about if I don't have to continue participating in sacrifice in a particular way, that's liberating for a lot of other creatures. Yes, wow. Literally. Um, Jesus's place on the cross is not as a human. Jesus's place on the cross is as an animal who is sacrificed. Hmm. So, you know, we, we anthropomorphize some of this, I think, has to do with the ways that, that we, um, um, we, we put ourselves in Jesus's place, like Jesus takes my place. No, Jesus takes the place of doves. Jesus takes the place of sheep. Jesus takes hmm. the place of goats. Jesus takes the place of cattle. That's really where Jesus is on the cross. Hmm. Um, and then says, we don't have to do that anymore. All right, everybody, halt, stop, cease and desist. We don't need to participate in any kind of blood ritual, blood sacrifice to be closer to God. It's not necessary, either of, you know, other animals, but also it's just violence, it's not necessary. Last word is life. Um, I, as I was thinking about this, um, thought about the ways too that the, the atonement really kind of reveals how Trinitarian we are or are not. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because more. if Jesus is God, then God dies. We are in a tradition where God loves us enough to die. Hmm. and come back. Um, so, you know, I feel like what's, what's become comp complicated for me is if we, if we see Jesus as somehow separate from God, as if God has picked someone to <laughs> sacrifice in order to appease God's self versus God comes and subjects God's self to the ultimate. And what does that mean for 
the God in the Bible who has been with those who have been enslaved, who has been with um, and who continues to, you know, who has, who has a heart for the poor, who has a heart for orphans, who has a heart for widows, where's that coming from? And the God that we call on in um, as the source of justice and the peace that we are, we are seeking. So, you know, these are kind of rambling <laughs> thoughts. I really, you all can, you all dusted off some stuff all the way from the woodwork. I was like, all right, yeah, I did write that article. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I put things out as ideas that I have at 527, 9.49 a.m. my time. Um, and we'll see what happens in a year or two or three. But I, I really have thought about that, that yeah. how Trinitarian is our, is our atonement. Yes. Theory. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. That's so good. Well, and I think, uh, understanding. Yeah. That, that's huge. I think, I mean, I think how we talk about the atonement and what happens with Jesus at the moment of the cross of his crucifixion says so much about how we understand who God is. Right. And, and all of a sudden, right. Whether there is God in Jesus Christ or it's, God versus the father versus the son, right? Mm -hmm. um, all these mm -hmm. things get exposed really quickly, I think, in that moment. And so I think um, that's very helpful. Um, I'm curious. So as you're thinking about, you know, how certainly you've kind of your own journey of thinking about the cross, the atonement, Jesus, his death, his resurrection, all of that stuff. Um, and and you even mentioned like, you know, the 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 need for us to be uh, intercultural and aware of the different contexts in which these things are being expressed. Yeah. But I'm curious, like, are there particular biblical texts nonetheless that maybe like a particular text maybe gives you a little grief, you know, I don't know. Like, oh, why that one? Why is, that, why is that in our canon? Right. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure if, if you, if you have any of those, but if you do, I'd be curious to hear if there's any particular passages around Jesus' death, atonement or whatever that that give you a little grief oh man yeah wow that's a i i didn't put my bible next to me um let's see i'm trying to think offhand um i likely there would be if i could remember them it's all right it's all right <laughs> yeah you don't have no to i mean the one i like hebrews i like the way that that hebrews talks about yeah. the atonement mm -hmm. um Maybe that we could flip the question, which is which other ones that what 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 do you lean into? What 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 gives you life? What what, mm -hmm. do you, what do you find particularly liberating? Yeah, well, I'm what I like about Hebrews, and I'm blanking on the particular chapters, is that it sort of talks about the it talks about the futility of past ways of thinking about sacrifice and. Mm -hmm you know, this, this engagement in bloodshed that is not efficacious, if I'm saying that correctly, because yeah, yeah, we yeah. have to keep coming back over and over and over and over um, and highlighting that there was a dispute around that, right? Like the prophets weren't always, weren't always championing this practice right and mm -hmm. the psalms that even say like really is sacrifice there's a con there's a contest mm -hmm. within the bible about whether sacrifice is necessary and under what conditions is it necessary and when does it cease to be faithful um and so hebrews kind of summarize that summarizes a bit of that like you know we we have for however long been engaging in this process that jesus ends we don't have to do this no more. Quit mm -hmm. finding reasons to shed blood as a form of worship. Quit finding reasons to shed blood for gratitude. Quit finding reasons to shed blood to get closer to God. It's mm -hmm. done. Jesus is the end of all sacrifice. Yeah. And so to me, it's fairly blasphemous to keep, you know, I am drawn to why bloodshed is so important to us as a species. Mm -hmm. What 
is it really that we're trying to, what, what are we trying to satisfy? What, what, and when Christians participate in it, um, it's, it's really problematic to me mm-hmm. because we're saying that the, who we worship and who we follow has ended this as part of the reason why I feel gratitude and thanksgiving. And yet we keep trying to find more ways to participate in violence and, and particularly bloody violence. Um, and so I, I draw on Hebrews um, for, for some of my understanding around this. Yeah. Um, we, don't, we are living sacrifices. That's yes. another text that comes to mind uh-huh. that is really, right? Like on one level contradictory but my whole life has to be sacrificial. Mm-hmm. But that also is the sacrifice of joy. Mm. Right? Like <laughs> it, my whole, my whole being is worship. Yeah. Um, and how do I organize my life in that way? And how do I organize the world around me in that way? Right? Cause it's not just personal. Christ reconciles all things. Every body already. That's right. Yeah. So how do I participate in that now? Why am I still trying to find ways to live unreconciled with others, um, with creation? Mm-hmm. Um, so if I take all of that seriously, that's not just personal. Um, There's a fundamental new create, I am a new creature participating Mm -hmm. in a new creation. What does that mean? Nikisha, one of the reasons I love being in conversation with you is you challenge me all the time. Um, uh, In the most gracious kind, like you get me laughing, my defenses are down, we're having a great time. (laughs) And then I realize that, the, the implications of everything you're saying will literally change my diet. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. I really appreciate it. At the very least. Yeah, at the very <laughs> least. <laughs> at the very least. Like, I, I'm, um, uh, I'm still stuck uh, back where y- you were talking about, um, uh, like, Drew, I think it's fair to say um, Nikisha is the first um, animal liberationist theologian uh, that we've had on in the Nonviolent Atonement series. Yeah. And your your talk of um, our Lord as a surrogate for animals, um, I, I find that really powerful and, and, and really uh, evocative and challenging. And your talk of um, almost our addiction, fascination, fixation on, on blood, and not in any Hebrew sense where we're talking about life, but just blood. Um, uh, and I, I find myself thinking, um, uh, Dolores Williams, one of the things that she really tore down and made everybody rethink was uh, surrogate generally. Uh, the mm-hmm. um, uh, God as surrogate and, and, mm-hmm. and um, what that does to um, women, children, um, uh, uh, women and children of colour as surrogates um, in, mm-hmm. in particular. Um, and I'm aware that um, uh, Kelly Brown Douglas uh, equates slavery with the cross. Um, Dr. Jacqueline Gray, um, um, she equates um, the experience of rape um, with the cross. Um, uh, uh, I mean, Dr. Cohn, like his work in response Response to um, sitting for um, 20, nearly 30 um, plus years um, uh, with uh, uh, womanism in response as a challenge to his work, crossing the lynching tree, it's put those two things back together. Um, I'm aware that um, the this focus you have um, uh, around um, uh, the cross being read in an Anabaptist way does challenge um, those equations 
of what the cross is. Um, would you start to spell out for some of us who, um, and maybe for a lot of people, it was Nancy Pelosi recently <laughs> equating um, George Floyd's death with like a, a sacrifice that was going to transform that some people went, actually, a second, that that doesn't work. Like that's that's weird. <laughs> And um, <laughs> uh, let's press pause. And, and these womanist scholars have been pressing pause um, uh, in part, but also have been equating particular suffering. W would you start to speak to, to where um, uh, your particular uh, reading of a liberative understanding of the cross um, might differ some with some Anabaptists and some womanists uh, when it comes to those things? Yeah, so um, I'm trying to to download um, some of what uh, some of what I remember. Uh, what I what I found helpful about um, the Mennonite scholar that I used in conversation is that there was sort of a clearness around not all suffering is redemptive. Jesus's suffering is particular, it is peculiar, it has a certain kind of shape, character, context. And so we cannot then just put any, we are creatures in the world, suffering will happen. Mm -hmm. And not all suffering is the same as what Jesus is going through. Yeah. Um, I think where it gets complicated is when we're in a context where identities are also political. Yes. So there is okay. a way in which, um, you know, that, that uh, Mennonite scholar was sort of saying this, this is political and correct me, you might have to feed my own work back to me here. Um, but that, you know, it's, it's, it's in the context of empire. It's in the context of it being political. It right. Like it is not that I have, um, that I have cancer. Sure. Right? As like tragic is, as that is. As right. There is tragedy, tragedy around that. There are resources within our theology and right to deal with that kind of suffering. Mm. But we, we, we're not going to overlay. And so to me, that's a little bit protective in the sense that you can't just kick children around and then assume and then equate that you're doing some this is this is your cross to bear we don't get to we don't get to throw that around willy-nilly right. um it does become complicated when um just to be a certain kind of person within our the afterlife of slavery and the afterlife of of doctrine of discovery, the afterlife of um, these white supremacy ripples into the world that the world that we're in now, what is and isn't political. Right. Um, so it, you know, at, at the very least, it makes it makes things really complicated. But I do think having some parameters around um, just just the the freedom to say, listen, actually, this is not my cross. This is, mm -hmm. this is a different thing than what's going on um, is helpful at, at mediating against um, oppression mm -hmm. um, or, or certain kinds of tragic experiences that don't, that, all, that don't qualify or fit in that category. Yeah, that's really that's helpful. helpful. Oh, yeah. I, um, <laughs> so for you, um, uh, any talk of the cross, which is not a provocative participation in the unmasking of injustice, oppression, violence, um, uh, domination, um, uh, isn't helpful talk of the cross at all? I think I, I, I feel like I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. mm. And or... Any, where life does not end up being, right? Like the cross comes to a fruition. It doesn't, it doesn't stand, 
right? Like isolated yeah. from, from a life before and a particular destination, right? Like, so what, what womanists were really, and others have been really good about talking about is like Jesus's death is in part the anticipated quote unquote natural, or let's say it as normal right. consequence of a rebellious and faithful life. Yeah. And so um, if, if the death is, it is not just whether the death or the suffering in and of itself is political, which for example, George Floyd's would be political, mm -hmm. right? Because as a black man living in the US, it's a political space, mm -hmm. but it's not within the context of a particular life, a particular mission, um, and it doesn't translate to more life. Um, yeah, wow. So that's why it's ridiculous. There's, we, we haven't been transformed by George Floyd's death. Yeah. More people are angry. And angry people who are ang were angry were angrier and rightfully so. There's some people who are coming to know things they should have already known. <laughs> yeah. That might be progress, but it's not transformation. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I, I think that's, that's also what's helpful about both of these um, uh, theologies and conversation with one another is that really Jesus's death is attached to a particular kind of life. It's attached to a particular mission. It's attached to voluntariness. Jesus knows exactly what Jesus is getting into. Yes. God knows exactly what God is getting into. Yes. Um, and so you can't take something that is imposed, a death that is imposed, that is not, there's, there is agency in Jesus's death, whether or not, you know, that might not feel good necessarily, but there is, that's one of the differences. Right. Um, so if, if, if a kind of suffering lacks, lacks agency, if a kind of suffering lacks, it's mm. um, amazing purpose, if a kind of suffering lacks real redemption or a transfer or a reconciliation or whatever, a new creation, mm -hmm. then we just, we can't just be throwing that around. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's so good. That's so good. And I think for me, the way I always made sense of that, um, and I, I think I told you this before, Nikisha, that because uh, our very first interaction was not related to any of this stuff. It was me. I don't know. I think I was reviewing Mark Van Steenwick's book. Right. And I think, mm -hmm. and I didn't know what I was talking about, talking about and our kids, I had, had not read anything, but anyway, Nikisha jumps in has good, but I, I was like, wait a minute. I know this name. Cause I had ran across your article. <laughs> right. Um, and then from there we kind of connected more, but, um, but when I read your article, it made complete sense to me because how I had always interpreted and engaged Anabaptism and thinking about the life of Jesus um, was also on the background was that I was steeped in like, I just was deep into reading King at the time, right? Mm -hmm. And so I was reading all of that with King in mind, right? Yeah. And so I see somebody who keeps with agency says, I'm going to keep struggling for justice, right? Even though constantly under the threat of death, right? Doesn't, it's not valorizing the death. He doesn't want death. He, he often avoids death. <laughs> in fact, he gets critiqued for avoiding hard situations at times at different moments, mm -hmm. but he's haunted by the reality that death is ine inevitable and he keeps right. pushing forward, right? Mm -hmm. And for mm -hmm. me, so when I read your piece, it it just made complete sense and it helps give me even stronger language to think about how I was wrestling with the different theological voices that are interpreting the cross in very different ways, all saying something very meaningful, right? Um, right. But but I think sometimes missing out on the that agency piece um, that I think is really important. That that crucifixion happened to thousands of people, but but Jesus' invitation to take up your cross is something a little mm -hmm. bit different than just being crucified, right? Right. Yeah. And so, yes. how do we make separation between those two things? Anyway, I just found that brilliant and helpful. 
Um, and and I'm sure you, I think I told you, you were referenced in my, um, in my dissertation. So, mm-hmm. so I appreciated those in, insights um, as well. Um, Drew, th- think, this might be an appropriate yeah. time to embarrass Nikesha some yeah. and just read some of her work back at her. Is that okay? Hey. Because uh, hey. like this, this article for me as well, Nikesha, it, it was truly transformative, really helpful. You, you named some things and brought some things um, into focus for me. Um, uh, so much so I, I went looking for more and was so disappointed that this wasn't like one chapter in a large, we're still waiting for the book. Like we're, we're, we're still waiting for the voluminous series to, to rival like Bart's dogmatic. So, uh, Oh Lord, keep, keep waiting. <laughs> <laughs> but if I can um, read some of you back at you so people know what Drew and I are talking about, you write, when one takes up the cross and follows Christ, one makes a conscious choice to vulnerably resist injustice and renounce the paths of premature peace and violent insurrection. You go on and say, when the church understands that Jesus's cross is a response of a hostile world to his freely chosen path of nonviolence, identification with the poor, justice and reconciliation, it is better able to expose, critique and confront suffering that does not fit Jesus's example whether it's racial discrimination, domestic violence, sexual abuse, or emotional neglect. I mean, the, the clarity in which you cut through so many things with those few lines, I, I just deeply appreciate. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much. I don't feel embarrassed at all. I feel humbled by, humble. can you feel humbled by you? Like, or whatever God was doing with you at that point in time, it's, yeah. That's some wonderful self-love we're witnessing. Like, it's a a great example for the rest of us. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of the things that I want to highlight that emphasizes that is that Jesus had other opportunities to be killed. Right. Yeah. So... You know, yeah, it was when, just about him getting knocked off. He was yeah. really drawing it out. Right. <laughs> like, in, Luke 4 <laughs> could have ended right there, right? Right in Luke 4. Right. In story. You know, well, the I mean, crowd is like, and he slips out, he slips past the crowd. Yeah. You know? well, can, can you imagine um, if um, our Lord's mother, the Theotokos, had a PSA atonement, like, <laughs> she should have been like, hey, Herod, over here. He's right here. Right. Quick. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> Yes. Um, <laughs> would would it, barely be one chapter into Matthew. Seriously. Or even with the temptation to throw yourself off the cliff. Off the cliff, yep. Um, <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's like... <laughs> Two birds, one stone. Right. And the promise is you get whatever, you know, you get, you get all the things. This is, yeah. this is the things. You could take the easy way. Um, so it's not... Um, not not any death also would do yeah if you could say it that way yeah um there's something very particular happening um so i yeah i mean i think that just emphasizes the point that like it's not any old kind of Mm -hmm. ending right Mm -hmm. right yeah absolutely and so for me then it brings clarity. I always feel like the gospels bring clarity to the fact that in Jesus yielding to death at the climax of the story is precisely in the moment of him being faithful witness to a life-giving way that clashes with empire in the Jerusalem establishment, right, at that moment. And so I think that if we miss the flow of the story, then we could just think it's just any old death, right? And right. he just needed to be killed. He needed to be executed. And, and that's a good mm-hmm. thing that he was executed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and part of the um, incredible gifts and, and pushback and um, uh, prophetic critique that um, Dolores Williams is, and others um, bring is that sense of, um, no, it's his militant ministry against all evil and that nonviolent resurrection, which affirms that ministry over and above. So even if the cross is 
um, uh, going to be redeemed, if I can use that language, um, as a symbol of, of militant, um, nonviolent uh, confrontation um, and provocation of all that doesn't look like the love we see in Jesus. Um, it, it's only so in light of what, what you highlighted before, Nikisha, that um, <laughs> the cross is not where the story ends. Like right. a, a new world is underway in the person of Jesus, in his body, um, so our bodies matter in that work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What the what is and it's also, and this was the the newer part for me in terms of, and and this really does come out of my animal theology work, that mm. Jesus says, and it's done. Done. Mm. So it's not just that the, the there's an end result, but that that end result literally ends the need for any replay of this. We don't have to keep doing this. Um, so, yeah. Hmm. Drew, I, I know we're going off script a, a little bit, um, but while we've yeah. got Nikisha here, um, I, I would I would love, um, I'm so aware that even so much nonviolent critique of um uh, violent atonement theories or atonements that um, are complicit in uh, uh, business as usual, maybe we could put it like that, um, are still so anthropocentric. Um, that's why I, I was so taken with your talk of um, uh, Jesus, like in, in the place of um, our, our desire and need, this this primal need um, to make something bleed and, and particularly um, other than human parts of creation. Given our ecological crisis um, and, and the work that you've been doing uh, in, in terms of animal um, liberation theology, uh, w- would you speak a, a little bit to um, what we miss and why it's so important we don't let it pass us by? Sure, yes. Um, so I think because we are so focused on what Jesus does for humans, Mm -hmm. right. Um, that we miss texts that point to something broader than that. Wow. Right. So the first ones coming to mind is the word became flesh. We share flesh Mm -hmm. with lots of others. We are only one type of flesh. Mm. And so they're the, in a very similar way that feminist and other um, uh, womanist readings have said, let's not just focus on the fact that Jesus is a man, please. Right? Like, let's embrace <laughs> Jesus's humanness as an expansion then of who can really, who, who benefits, who, who can participate to concentrate on Jesus's fleshness is another expansion. God came into the world to be a creature. Yeah. Other animals bleed, other animals feel pain, other animals have communities, other animals speak to each other. Other animals are within the realm of God's concern I'm not a literalist, but in the Garden of Eden, they're made before we are. Mm -hmm. They are given the first instruction to be fruitful and multiply. Mm. We get their instruction when we show up. Right? So there's a way in which um, we miss the broadness of who Jesus is and what's happening there. We also miss... Um, you know, kind of what I was saying before about just that, like other animals are saved by the end of sacrifice. That's just factual, yeah. but it's meaningful for the other animals. Um, we miss language. Why do we talk about the lamb of God? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Really? Um, one of my favorite moments of re-encounter with the text was in the baptism of Jesus 
there are two incarnations in the Bible. Hmm. One is very brief. One lasts 33 years. Hmm. But in the baptism of Jesus, there is God who is present. And I believe it's John who says, and the Holy Spirit came as a dove. Not like. Hmm. I think John is the only one that is very specific. No, no, Holy Spirit here as a bird. Mm. And so we see a Trinitarian moment that is actually also interspecial. Wow. So if we dismiss that incarnation, just because it's short, just because it's an animal, sort of like there's something really interesting happening here if God shows up as a bird at the mm. moment in which flesh is being declared as God's son. So do we dare say that God knows something about birdness? Mm. I don't know. And then what does that mean for text then of like all of creation is groaning, right? Like we just do so much damage by focusing only on as if the God of the universe, all the stars, all the planets, all the everything everywhere is only passionately concerned about one small late in the development of history mm. set of beings. Mm. Deep. So I can't imagine another, I can't imagine, I don't want to imagine. I have come to a place where I don't want to imagine that other animals don't matter. Other animals yeah. also complicate, and this is why the suffering stuff really matters and why some of my suffering stuff came out of an animal theology place. A pig in a slaughterhouse is not having a cross-bearing moment. That's right. This is useless suffering. Yeah. Mm. And so it matters to have distinction around what suffering is redemptive or not precisely because humans aren't the only ones that suffer. And so, so much of our atonement kind of hang up is around the human experience that we don't really think about then how we talk about suffering if we actually broaden it to be other creatures. What is and isn't redemptive? When should and shouldn't blood be shed? Mm. Is it necessary? Um, and the last thing I'll say too, and this is borrowing from um, my ex-husband's work, Andy Alexis Baker, but he talks about Jesus in the temple. And we get excited about Jesus throwing all the tables around, but the encounter with animals there is also really important. Yeah. Jesus sets them free. That's yeah. right. Now, am I saying Jesus is an animal liberationist? I would not make that claim any more than I would say that Jesus recycled. Um, but, but there's something there to be drawn yeah. upon um, for the environment that we are in. Um, That's good. That's so good. You've been, you just double blessed us. <laughs> the extra the overflow um the stuff that we weren't even expecting or anticipating for this I, i'm i'm confident that our listeners um are just minds are they're trying to keep up they're trying to put together things that you are <laughs> dropping all these nuggets um and so just thank you so much that's so good that's so good i've been vegan nuggets Vegan nuggets. Which we have. And they're tasty. <laughs> Whatever you can do, friends, we got it. Lobster made out of tomatoes, we're here. It's not necessary. <laughs> not. 
Daniel, I see you in the chat. Where you been? Miyoko's got it for you. What's the problem? It's a dance <laughs> since 1973. I'm not hearing it. <laughs> well, we, got the, cheese, we got cheese that, that people don't even know is not, not cow secretions. Quit playing. <laughs> that, that chat is an indication of um, the larger um, in inverse community that is engaging with this live, which um, we invite anybody <laughs> to do. Uh, anybody that's um, part of the Patreon community is welcome to, to do that. Um, but Nikisha, before we open it up to them to um, ask questions, and I'm sure there are a lot of questions, um, we would love it. And one of the things I, I deeply uh, appreciate and respect about you is uh, you are somebody who is serious about worship and serious about prayer. Uh, and serious about um, seeking uh, the face of God. And uh, I would love it if you would um, uh, pray for our listeners as they um, uh, wrestle and, and seek first um, the, the reign of something that's good for all of creation. Um, would you feel comfortable doing that? Yeah, sure. I mean, Thank I want to just say in, in transparency, you know, that, that hasn't always been the case. Uh, my prayer life really excelled and my personal worship life really grew right before the start of the pandemic mm. um, and has only really deepened um, since then. So I would be honored to, um, to pray. Thank you. In this moment, oh God, I pray that we would all, wherever we are, feel you. That we would know in our minds and our bodies and our soul that you are for us and with us and beside us and in us and through us. In this world, God cover and touch the lives of all who listen, of all who hear your voice, that we may be empowered to love as you love. in all things. For the goodness and the flourishing of all bodies and all beings. Mold us God and make us yours. Living sacrifices saved and sanctified for your well-doing. In the name of Jesus, who we love and seek so desperately to follow. Amen. 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 The Inverse Podcast is proudly supported by you, the listener. And if you want to join the revolutionaries who are helping us have conversations about how this ancient text can still turn the world upside down, why don't you head over to patreon.com slash inverse.